you deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome into another edition of Inside Carolina's Game Plan Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Greg Barnes. That's Jason Staples. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. beard going on too you're not quite as whited out as i am how long does it take you a little bit it'll it'll come at you life comes at you fast and hard (laughs) i'm as white as you are greg yeah that's uh i need to get some of that what is it uh grecian formula or whatever that's the old school stuff hair club for men that's the wrong stuff there right that's (laughs) it gives me i don't need hair (laughs) yeah great it's uh just for men, I think is. What there you go. There, I think. I go. think. I think. If we're uh, if we're going to mention them, though, they need to sponsor this thing. Yeah, really. Yeah. And given given Hair the way we all look these not days, working. yeah. Given the way we all look these days, we are a right a set of hosts for for the right uh, for the right sponsor on this stuff. So you know, if there's anybody out there watching this now or later who uh, has that hookup. We, we're 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 exactly the the target for you to be able to demonstrate your your capacity. Hair club, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, hair club for you, Tommy. And then uh, you know, just for men, maybe a little bit. There, there's some there's some stuff out there. If I don't uh if I don't shave soon, kids are gonna be running up me hollering Santa Claus this time of year. <laughs> Let, let's get into this podcast. Carolina Clemson three thirty and saturday afternoon in death valley greg you've made the rounds you hit the washboard or is it the car wash circuit weren't you on another you cheated on us greg you were on another show today uh, I did. tell us tell us what's the word what, what's the word from people away from the inside carolina bubble about this game for north carolina well i think everybody is super excited to see the matchup that we're going to talk about tonight which is north carolina's vaunted offense against Clemson's vaunted defense and had a question earlier in the week about, well, and we had it last week as well on the show about, you know, how is Clemson's, well, I guess it was Duke asking about how's Clem, Duke's defense compared to last year. I've got some of the same questions this week about you know, where does this Clemson defense stand? Because Clemson of course is six and four, haven't had the year that they wanted. And, yeah, it's not the 2017 defense that was the number one defense in the country. 
they've had a lot of really good defensive Venables was, was a fantastic defensive coordinator. I mean, this one right now is top 10 in the country when you look at the metrics. And pretty much they've done defensively what Drake May and, and that offense for the Tar Heels has done offensively. Uh, and it's just a fascinating matchup between you know two elite units going against one another. We don't get to see that very often. Uh, and so I, I think that's really the, the focus is, you know, here's Drake May, uh, the best quarterback in the ACC, probably, you know, has a, at least has a really good chance to be the number one pick next spring. Um, so it, it gets down to what, you know, what can, what can Clemson do to kind of slow him down? And Drake is just so fun to watch that I think that's going to pull in a lot of eyeballs around the country. Um, you know, as we saw against Georgia Tech, Drake had to be perfect for Carolina to win that game. Nearly was then an incredible hit against Taz Walker. Uh, you know, kind of led to a fumble that that ended the game, so that he didn't quite do enough to get over the hump. And then he was uh, just the same, maybe a little bit better against Duke in, in getting the win last Saturday. So he's been phenomenal, and I think he's going to have to be phenomenal again. Uh, down in Death Valley, because that is a very difficult place to play, and Clemson finally seems to have a little bit of life. Jason, you've said all along that Carolina had a puncher's chance against anybody with the talent they have on offense. Has any of that changed for you? And I find it interesting, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, people were pretty confident Carolina could could cruise into Clemson and, and do some damage, and it's changed so much over the last couple of weeks. Carolina's defense has done what it's done, and, and Clemson sort of turned it around. Where do you stand, stand now on this matchup, Jason? Well, you know, the thing is, I think, um, I think Clemson has sort of found themselves a little bit the last couple of weeks, and that's the concerning thing because I think a month ago, if these two teams had played – with where things were in terms of injury, in terms of uh, just how they were playing overall on both sides of the ball, sort of in the immediate aftermath of, of Tez Walker coming back and Clemson still sort of adrift a little bit, I think Carolina would, would probably have been justifiably close to a coin flip or maybe even favored in my mind at that point. But Clemson is, has, has sort of found themselves in terms of not turning it over a bunch. I mean, that's the thing is that this Clemson team, the reason that they've got the losses they have is they've turned the ball over. They've fumbled away a good season. This is a good Clemson team. But uh, they they struggled with that aspect of things and then the last they've sort of gotten that under control and they've kind of figured that out a little bit it seems. And when you do that, then that defense gets real nasty. When you have to drive a long field against this defense, it's as it's almost it's as good as almost any in the country. Uh, and I think Carolina, instead of finding themselves in a positive sense, the last couple weeks, last few weeks, it's been uh, you know there, a few things have been exposed a little bit. And I think I think this Carolina team's gotten a little worn down, honestly. Uh, I think I think some guys, I think there's evidence just if you watch some of these guys who've who've played the most i think some of these guys are getting a little bit worn down as the, as the season gets on as the as the season gets long and we've talked about that for how many years now in terms of 
the difference between teams that are true contenders and teams that are really good teams that are going to have a puncher's chance against anybody. Uh, late in seasons, the true contenders have sufficient depth to keep themselves fresher going into that last month of the season. And they also have sufficient depth to absorb some of the attrition that's going to happen during the season. And I think Carolina, there's been a little bit of a, there's been a little bit, I think there's been less attrition. I mean, Carolina has been relatively, I mean, knock on wood, there's not been a ton of injury issues that they've had this year compared to, uh, to what some teams have had. It's been a pretty healthy season, but I do think there's some evidence of this team getting a little worn down the last, last few weeks. And, I think Clemson is is deeper in some of those areas and is, is maybe not quite as worn down. I think they're kind of accelerating a little bit right now. Let's talk about that a little bit, Greg. Um, on Monday, Mac was asked a question about the fourth quarter issues for the defense the last four P5 games. Uh, those numbers are not pretty in the fourth quarter. Uh, I mean, it's like 65 points and 750 yards, something obscene. Um, but the question is, why is that happening? And I, And I sort of – posed it and thought about it and talked about it early in the week on one of these shows. It's one of two things. Guys are tired, like Max said, or Carolina is unable to make in-game adjustments in half adjustments. Not, you know, they play well the first quarter, play well the third quarter, but as those halves go, they start to falter. Where do you sort of stand on that aspect of it? And I do want to talk about the fatigue issues because we were looking at the stat numbers off the air or the snap numbers off the air. And they're not any different than they have been in years past at this point in the season. I don't think at least for the core four or five top dogs on defense. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a lot kind of here, Tommy, and it, it really does go back to, I mean, the Jaden Bateman time, whenever we're talking about, um, you know, North Carolina's defense and not rotating some guys. So just to kind of start the conversation, let's go through a little bit of numbers. Um, Cedric Gray has played 711 snaps, leads the ACC, and he ranks fourth nationally in snaps played. Power Eccles has played 685 snaps. He ranks seventh nationally. He's second in the ACC for you know, snaps played for linebackers. Um Kamon Rucker leads the country off the edge with 670 snaps, which is insane. Um, Elijah Huzzy, let's see, he's 12th in the country, 710 snaps. He's first in the ACC for secondary. Uh, and then Marcus Allen's played 694 snaps. He's third in the ACC. And what is he nationally? He's 23rd nationally. So those are some of your key guys. Uh, what's that? Five, four, five, who have just played an incredible amount of football. Now, if you remember back, Tommy, when um, Hubert Davis was first getting started, that first tournament we covered, uh, people were asking him you know, if the guys were fatigued. And he kind of laughed it off and said, hey, these are college kids. They only get so many games a year. They're not fatigued. They could probably go out there and play again. Football's a little bit different. Football's a lot different. Um, <laughs> I, I can tell you that right now. But Football, it's a, I, I, w- 
I was an AAU guy. We played, <laughs> you know, we'd play four games, five games in a day for basketball. Football is a whole different animal. So it, it kind of is it's a very unique kind of dichotomy there between the, the sports. Um, <laughs> there is kind of the, you know, the mindset of these guys don't want to come out. So what has to happen? Well, the coaches obviously make the decision, but they also have to kind of understand we need him in here at this point in time, but we also need to make sure we want him in there playing at a high level late. I mean, we've had this conversation so many times. I mean, what did we talk about 2019? Yep. The, somebody's already nailed it in the chat. Yeah. Strowbridge and Crawford, Crawford played like <laughs> 4 million snaps. And you have to do the math of saying, okay, well, Aaron Crawford at 70% is going to be better than the backup at 100. And that's the math you have to do. And at that time, we had that conversation when they were playing Clemson. Uh, and, you know, Clemson was playing guys a third as many snaps is what Carolina was. And they were just rotating guys because they had really good defensive linemen. Well, I mean, look at what North Carolina's had coming into the season. I mean, defensive line depth was supposed to be a strength for this team. And there's a lot of high-profile names on that defensive line. Um, and you do see a little bit more rotation up front, although we can you know, have a conversation about their effectiveness. But on the back end in a linebacker, you still don't have that depth. Um, and granted, one of your starters from last year is playing really well for Louisville this year. Um, but that that's an issue. Uh, and you know, Don Chapman, I think, is a good example. He's a guy that – went into the portal last spring and Carolina talked him out of it and kind of brought him back to uh, be able to provide some depth. And not only that, but he's, he's starting at safety. So it's, it's an issue. Um, I don't, I don't doubt Mac Brown when he says he thinks it's fatigue. I think that's an honest answer. I also think Chiswick's probably thinking, Hey, you know, it can't be fatigue. You know, we need these guys to be able to play. They've only played 10 games. Um, but it's it's a challenge. It's, it's a challenge to kind of balance that out, especially now because you know these last two weeks, and if everything falls into place and Carolina gets the ACC championship game, you're talking about three potential weeks in a row of really physical, difficult, grinding games. And if you're already tired right now, whoo, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a challenge. Better better rest up and eat well on Thanksgiving, Tommy. Yeah, really, yeah, Cedric. Well, and- let me I, I, let I me re, go ahead. Jay, let me re, re, uh, reiterate what Cedric Gray said, and, and it's what other players um, have to be going through as well. As he said, I can get through the game. It, it's you know I don't feel tired during the game. It's during the week trying to get my body back and all that stuff. And, and you hear that a lot from guys. The adrenaline carries you through the actual game, um, but Jason does it. Uh, I mean. The stats don't lie. The fourth quarter stats don't lie. Where's your take there? And I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. I, did, I interrupted you, I think. But um, in any case, uh, you know, I think I think part of the issue here is I, I suspect Gene Chizik is probably answering that in a in a game by game kind of fatigue thing of like, no, they're not tired at the end of at the end of the game. Like they're no more tired at the end of the game than they were at the beginning kind of thing of you know, they, they need to be able to, to do that. And I think Mac is probably thinking more in terms of the whole season on that. And the thing that, that's hard here, this is a load management issue, right? It, it has to do with, and, th- and load management 
I mean, you hear all about that in like the NBA. Right? I mean, that's the thing, right? Got you know, you get stars sitting out, and you know, they were sitting out so so much during the middle of the year and all that. The last few years, trying to you know gear up for playoff runs and everything, the NBA tried to make it illegal this year to you know load manage so that your star doesn't play or whatever but teams are finding ways around it you know where a guy you know he'll start but he'll only play like you know 10 minutes or something like that i mean you're always going to find ways to try to get your advantages because the truth is i mean you think about this in terms of even like the nba with basketball and all that uh but that's a physical game but like you like we were saying i mean football's a whole different thing and especially in the trenches it's just it's just a much more the the grind is is much harder game by game and you got to remember it's not just the games it's practice you're you're leaning on each other you're doing it's a very physical thing uh and the best programs in the country over the last 10 years i mean i remember 2013 one of the big stories out of that national championship florida state team was that they were one of the two or three first teams to use the gps term uh, technology in practice and they used that to manage the load of players practice by practice and essentially the way that they did it and everybody all the top teams are doing this now where essentially they will monitor players acceleration velocity deceleration all of those things and when a player's percentages start like when a player's velocity comes down a certain percentage then he gets fewer reps the next practice like they will pull him out and say, no, 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 you can't, you're, you're out for, for now. You're tired. You're tired. We saw it in your acceleration, which also means that the players are kind of incentivized to keep that acceleration up if they want, if they want to, you know, if they don't want to look like they're loafing. Cause then it's a question of like, are you loafing? Are you really tired or are you loafing? Right? So this becomes the thing, but once it becomes clear that like you're wearing down a little bit, those guys get rest in a lot of these, you know, in the top programs in the, in the NFL. And that's all to make sure that week in week out, you don't see declines in capacity over the course of the season. And, you know, I'm looking at, the, so it's not just the snap counts for, for Carolina. I'm looking at the Clemson snap counts here, right? This is really interesting when you compare them to Carolina snap counts at the same positions. I think Carolina. I think Clemson has the two best linebackers in the conference, right? And I know there there are Carolina fans who are going to go, oh, Cedric Gray is every bit as good. No, no, no. Look, I've watched, I've watched the whole conference. <laughs> there are probably some FSU fans who will listen to this and be like, well, but what about Kalen Delo? No, no, no. Listen, Jeremiah Trotter and Barrett Carter are the two best linebackers I've seen all season, and they're both on Clemson. Jeremiah Trotter's played 559 snaps. Barrett Carter, is, 470. It's like two and three games less, worth less. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, that's the two highest snap counts on their on their defense for Clemson. Third is Andrew Makuba, who's a uh, he's their you know slot corner basically, at 451. Then a safety, 387. Finally, an edge, the, the most snaps on their front is edge TJ Parker, 367 snaps in 10 games. Right? Ha, it, ha, Nate Wiggins. Half. Right. Nate Wiggins, the first round draft pick corner 
I think Wiggins is the best corner in the ACC. Has played 365 snaps this year. Now, granted, that's in eight games because he missed two with, with a knee injury. But he's played 365 snaps. Okay? Let's go over to Florida State. They're, they're about to play in the ACC title game. They've clinched that. Top on their, on their roster is a corner at 516, a safety at 507. Then their edge, Jared Verse, who's going to be a first-rounder, at, four, six, at 439 in 10, in, in, uh, in 10 games. They're, the, the most snaps any linebacker on that team has played is 398 in 10, in 10 games. That's three, maybe four games fewer than Cedric Gray's played. So, I mean, look, you'd have to be out of your mind to think that Cedric Gray would be as fresh as, you know, Kalen Deloach, who's played under 400 snaps at this point in the season. You have to be crazy to think that. Of course he's, of course he's a little bit worn down. Of course he's, he's wearing down over the course of the season. That's a lot of snaps. And every one of those snaps, you're getting blocked by somebody or you're, you know, sprinting at top speed somewhere. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's going to be a factor. And when you look at the, you know, the, the, the teams with, with the talent on defense at the top of the conference, that's where, that's where you want to be. And I think we can all agree that there's a reason that Cedric Gray has played that many snaps. And there's a reason that Cayman Rucker has played that many snaps and that, you know, Power Eccles has played that many snaps. If you look at the at, at the possibilities behind him, you go, well, you know, there's a reason. But it does mean that you get to the fourth quarter of games, second half of games at this stage of the season, and it gets a whole lot harder. And it's bearing it out. Drew Krebs in the chat says, now do tackle loads because Gray makes all the tackles. Uh, <laughs> Trotter for Clemson has – 71 tackles, 13 tackles for loss and four and a half sacks. Barrett Carter, 54 tackles, seven tackles for loss and two sacks. Of course, Eccles and Gray both lead North Carolina. Um, Gray with 96 tackles and 77 tackles for power Eccles. I, I mean, I think it's fatigue, and I think they're worn out. And I think at this point in the season, it, I don't know if it changes, Jason. So, So how do you manage it now? I mean, part of it's coaching too, right? There, it's not just fatigue to give up a million yards in the fourth quarter every week. Or is it? I, I mean, I'm trying to drill down and find an excuse or a reason for the, the meltdown every fourth quarter save for Clemson in the last month. Well, I think by the time you get to this stage of the season, the thing you got to remember, volume in terms of, of load – Volume is additive. So every week that you're tired and banged up and then you go out there the next week and you get more tired and banged up, it's additive. It's not just like, okay, well, I'm as banged up as I was last week. Now you're more banged. Like it's the fatigue load adds up over time. And, you know, the only way to, to, to get out of that is like legitimate recovery. You, and that means you have to have time to let your body recover. That means you have to have, you know, extra sleep. It means you have to have great nutrition. You have to have great work in the training room and, and you know, all the stuff that everybody does now uh, to, to deal with that. But that also means you need reduced loads in practice, right? I mean, that's a factor. And he, here's, the other, here's the other side to this. I mean, I've been critical at times of Carolina 
sort of losing their physicality at this stage of the season, right? I mean, I've, I've been very critical of the overall lack of physicality, particularly up front in, in different places this season. But here's the kind of catch-22, is if these guys are playing 60 snaps a game, or more in some cases, you're looking at guys playing you know, 65, 70, 75 snaps a game, what do you need to, to have to, to carry that physical edge into every game? Well, the, you know, the one thing that, you know, teams have typically done to, to maintain their physicality over, over or to improve their physicality, is you got physical practices. You really build that edge in practice. But if you're having a guy play a bunch of snaps, you can't have him practice like that because he will get broken down. So that means you're kind of having to soften up practice to make sure isn't broken down by the time you get to the game, which then has active kind of potentially removing the edge that you need from that guy. So, you know, the more snaps guys play in practice, or the more snaps guys play in the game, the less they're really able to practice. And I mean, this is something Deion Sanders talked about with Travis Hunter is, you know, Travis Hunter is playing 130 snaps in some games. And I, I was talking to somebody else in the, uh, in the industry, uh, and you know, former former teammate of mine, a few weeks back, this is before the Colorado State game, and you know, this is after what the f- second maybe game that they played, where he played over 120 snaps. And my comment was, "There's no way that kid plays every game this year. There's no way he survives. Like, th- first of all, he's under 180 pounds. Second of all, teams are going to take shots on him just because they can on offense, just to get him off the field." And guess what happened the next week? It's, you know, you play that many snaps and it just, it wears on you. And the thing was, De- what Deion Sanders talked about is, look, we got a plan for him. Like, he's very limited in practice. He's just, we're, we're, we're getting him, we're getting him ready with as little as we can during the week. And then, you know, he's out there during the game and he's taking on all those reps. And then we're, we got a plan for him. That's what you have to do if you're playing that many reps. But that does impact how much you can improve. That does impact a lot of those things that you're trying to get better on in practice. So this is all kind of feeding together in terms of the stuff that this impacts over the course of a season. It is a web that has to be navigated every year. Um, I will quote Buck, and I think Dixon in the chat says, um, I think Buck actually says, we've picked all the turkey, the feathers off that turkey and all that. But I mean... The, the issue is, you know, it is a, it has been an issue in the fourth quarter with Clemson and NC State coming up. Potentially ACC championship game if everything fell perfectly and definitely a bowl game. Greg, I entitled this show, How the Heels Can Do It. So let's sort of get into that portion of it. Let me do Johnny T-shirt first. Jason's favorite read. I, could you mm. do the read? Could you do the read, Greg, if I ask you to do it? Probably not. Certainly not well. <laughs> well, Johnny T-shirt is on East Franklin Street, and they're friends of this Inside Carolina crowd. They're friends of Inside Carolina listeners. You get your 10% off if you're a premium subscriber. But that's only the part benefit you get of being a, a customer of Johnny T-shirt. they got a great customer service, the great gear, basketball, football, warm weather gear, cold weather gear. It's hoodie season. It it's is hoodie, hoodie season. season. That's part of this read. It is hoodie season, and it is. Uh, I, I've even got my hoodie here. You know, my little. My favorite thing is those little thin hoodies they got. 
Uh, but they also have the crew neck sweaters if you want to go preppy look with your loafers. Um, you can do that as well from Johnny T-Shirts. Shop on Franklin Street or go see them online. And, and don't forget to tell them you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, if you in fact are, and drop the code and get that 10%. National guys will pay the bills. It's the game plan. Carolina Clemson on Saturday. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Greg, it's about 27 minutes after. We're going to turn the tail, and like I started before the, before the commercial, how the Heels can do this in Death Valley. Um, so take it from there. What needs to happen? Sounds like it might be, uh, might be a Drake May Day type thing. <laughs> well, um, what did I say last week? I was pretty emphatic in what I said last week and that the defense needed to show up. How'd that go? Um, not very well. So, <laughs> look, Duke is a good football team. Now, yeah, Raleigh Leonard didn't play. Uh, and the crazy thing is, and I, Jason, I liked your your video on that, that fourth and seven play by Grayson Loftus. Like, sometimes you just have to tip a cap. Um, Carolina almost got to him. He just made an incredible pass. Yes, the wide receiver. Uh, executed the double move just right and was kind of running free there. Um, but just a, a heck of a play. And But beyond that one play, he did not complete a pass when Carolina got pressure on him. So that's, that's somewhat of a benefit. Um, but if the defense had shown up really any late in the game, the Carolina wins that game probably by double digits. They would have covered. This week is a different animal. Because while Duke is a you know, fringe top 25 team and a probably top 25 team with Raleigh Leonard, uh, Clemson may be six and four, but they're better than their record. And when you're, you're playing at home and they've had a little bit of a resurgence, Will Shipley's back. Some of the, some of the injured guys they've had are, are working their way back. Carolina's going to have to have solid play in all three phases. And we have not seen that last month of the season. And so that's a problem. Uh, Drake May has gotten better and better. You know, the, we can talk about the Heisman later if you want to. I, I think he just has too much ground to make up. But he was fantastic against Georgia Tech and Duke. Um, so he's got to do that. He's got to be able to put pressure on Clemson to have to score points. But the defense has to stand up. And they have to be able to limit 
what Clemson could do running the ball. And that's really the key. If you force Cade Klubnick to beat you, I know what happened in the ACC championship game. That's really the last time he's done that successfully. Um, but if you can force him to beat you, you have a chance. If Phil Moffa and Will Shipley can just run the ball on you and kill clock and uh, limit your possessions, good luck. And then special teams-wise, neither of these teams have been really good special teams-wise. You know, Noah Burnett, of course, has been fantastic. But um, it's, it's a total team effort, Tommy, for North Carolina to pull this one off. Jason, as far as the defensive approach, you know, we've sort of seen how Carolina's defense has played. They've stopped teams from running the ball. Is Clemson a better running team? Um, and I know Phil Moffa's a different dude. Um, Shipley, you know, he's had a good year running the ball, but he also can catch it. Um, so how does North Carolina approach that after they have had success, at least earlier in the year, stopping what at the time we considered pretty good running teams? Yeah, so a couple things here. Um, one is I think you have to recognize that Clemson, the big thing, that, the big issue with Clemson all year, and this is what we talked about early in the year, the reason that I felt going into the season that North Carolina would have a good shot at beating Clemson this season is Clemson does not have the dudes outside that they've had in the past. I mean, Bo Collins is a, is a nice receiver. I mean, he's fine. You know, Antonio Brown, who is probably, I mean, I'm not sure he's going to play in this game. He's been out with a, with a toe for a little bit. You know, he, I think he's, he's questionable, uh, might be doubtful. Um, you know, you've got a couple other guys that, that, that they've got on that roster who are nice players. I mean, I, I think they're probably, probably Bo Collins is the main guy. And then, uh, Tyler Brown the, is the, the guy that stepped in at the slot. Brown, number six, is the guy that I think is is the one most dangerous guy for them that you have to worry about in that respect. But they don't really have, you know, for for a long time they were it was Sammy Watkins, New uh, uh, New Hopkins, uh, you had T Higgins, you had you know all that run of just outstanding wide receivers, plus those frustrating slots <laughs> that you paired with elite quarterback play. And so then you get the running game and all that they, that they bring in. And, and what are you going to choose to stop? The thing with this Clemson team is they're much more one-dimensional. I mean, Randall and Collins at wide receiver are big bodies, but I don't think either Randall or Collins are better than, any of, than either of, of North Carolina's outside wide receivers. I think J.J. Jones would have at least a 50-50 shot of being a starter at Clemson. And <laughs> it's very clear that the guy on the other side <laughs> would be starting at Clemson, right? He'd be Clemson's best best offensive player. So, you know, Tez would be... would be You put Tez Walker on, on Clemson, Clemson's probably a one-loss team, if not undefeated right now. The, the thing that you know is because they don't have that dude... You can focus on stopping the run. You can try to take away the run. You can leave your corners a little bit more on an island and say, all right, well, your offensive line is, you know, average, maybe a little above average on, you know, on some of this, but you're going to try to pound us and we're going to stand in there and we're going to try to take that away. And you, you watch the Duke game, you watch the Florida State game, and ultimately that's what those games came down to. You watch the Miami game. My, the reason Miami beat 
beat Clemson is because Miami on the line of scrimmage is pretty darn good. And they were able to limit Clemson in the running game. And then Clemson turned it over. That's the key to winning. You know that going in. You know that you're going to have to roll the dice and say, I don't think you've got the playmakers to beat us on the outside consistently. I think if I put you in long yardage, your quarterback is likely to throw it to the other team a couple times or, or fumble. And that's what, that's what you're going to count on. To me, that's the ball game. Simple enough on the defensive side. Sounds simple enough. Uh, folks in the chat, um, I wanted to highlight one. Somebody said, Will Shipley for a wheel route touchdown. Calling it now. Well, a couple <laughs> things. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a couple things here about Klubnik that I think is interesting. One, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you can get pressure on him, and again, North Carolina fans have been spoiled um, with Sam Howe and Drake May because when you look at their like kept clean versus under pressure numbers, I mean, yeah, obviously they're going to be a little bit better when they're kept clean. But for most people, there's a pretty wide divide. And for Klubnik, there, there's a pretty wide divide. He certainly has not been great by any stretch. Uh, he's got 77.2 grade when kept clean. Um, he does have a 79.6 adjusted completion percentage. And I'll get more into that in a second. But 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. He's at 39.9 when he's put under pressure. And he's been put under pressure a third of the time. So you see that as a defensive coordinator. You're like, okay, well, this is the weakness. Um, if we can if we can get pressure on him and we can get him into some obvious passing downs, we, we can have some success. Um, and one thing I think you can kind of tell um, where he is as a passer right now is when you look at kind of where he's throwing the ball, um, about 60% of his passes beyond the line of scrimmage happen in the middle of the field. And Brennan Stuhl is their, their tight end that they really like. I think he's got close to 40 catches this season. Um, but they're not attacking the edges really at all, and that kind of speaks to what you know, Jason was just talking about. Um, he's been pretty good over the middle, uh, both you know, short, medium, and, and some of the, the deep shots. So that's, that's noteworthy when you're, when you're looking at kind of scouting the team. Um, but you have to get them in those, those short yardage situations, and that's where you kind of get into, or into those third and long is what you want. Um, but that's when you start looking at Phil Moffa. He's really come on since Shipley got hurt. Of course, Shipley's back now. But Moffa's averaging 3.9 yards per carry after contact. It's a big, strong dude. You're going to have to hit him and hit him hard to drop him. And more importantly, it's going to have to be a lot of gang tackling. Jason did a good job this week in one of his video breakdowns explaining how, you know, if you look at what Carolina does, a lot of times they kind of they kind of get to their gap to where they're supposed to make a play, and they do it pretty well. And then they just kind of stop to make sure that everything's covered, that they don't get – maybe too far in the backfield and out of position. Whereas you watch, it is. And you watch a lot of other teams and they're just, they're running downhill trying to smack somebody's head off. Um, if you take that uh, passive approach against Maffa, he will truck you. And, <laughs> and Shipley is a, 
Uh, Shipley's a guy who's not not that kind of power back, but he is physical, and he's gonna he's gonna fight for every single yard, and that's why he's had a lot of success. And that's what Clemson's gonna do. They're gonna try to you know, get three, four yards, and it may not be pretty, but if they can get uh, third and short, they're okay with that. Um, and because at that point, you know, Garrett Riley can do some different things, and they've had some success at the quarterback position. And that's that's really the key, Tommy, is um, if, if Clemson's able to run the ball, which a lot of teams have had success lately against Carolina, it's going to be a long day. And that puts a ton of pressure on Drake May. They've got to figure out ways to get off the field. They've got to figure out ways to scheme up tackles for loss, maybe an occasional sack, because when you add those things, we'll talk about this on the Clemson side of uh, when we switch sides, you you set up success to get off the field. And that's that's the number one thing. Uh, maybe maybe create a few turnovers, but that's the way you have to do it. It, it may not be the, the prettiest thing, but just find ways to get off the field. Uh, one thing I wanted to address before kicking it over, and I was going to bring it up, is Kolopnik a threat to run? Yes. He, he's what's interesting though Jason is looking at his numbers he's he's gained 292 yards but he has given it back so that he only has 98 yards net he's been sacked 19 times i think he's got 246 non-sack yards so that's pretty solid about three and a half yards per carry yeah, and I've yeah. been there. There have been times where I've been really surprised. He's gotten out in the open field and he's outrun a couple guys where I knew how fast that guy was that was chasing him. And it's like, oh wow! Like he, he actually, you know, he's like a maybe a low four six, high four five guy. I mean, he can move. Uh, but you're not talking about, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson out there either. He he really he's one of those guys that tends to run more to get to the sideline than. He's a guy that, you know, takes off to gash you upfield. So he'll run away from a rush or he'll, you know, pull a ball on a read option or something like that. And then he's, he's sort of running diagonally. He tends to run diagonally toward the sideline. He's one of those guys. Uh, but he can do it well enough to hurt you. And he can scramble some. But, but he's not a guy that likes pressure. Uh, you know, there's some guys that, that, you know, handle the pocket really well just n- naturally. He, he he's not one of those guys. Um, if he knows where, if he knows where he's going, he'll take a he'll take a shot and he'll step into it and make a good throw. But he's one of those guys where if if the pocket starts to collapse on him, if you can compress it a little bit, you start to see his feet get uncomfortable and and he'll he'll throw it around a little bit. He's a guy that will throw it to the other team. He's a guy that does get happy feet at times. If you can hit him a few times and start to get into his lap a little bit. You can affect it. You can affect Klubnik. He he is one of those guys that I think uh, the delta. And actually, I haven't looked at it. And I'm I'm going to take a look at it now. The delta between his uh, his pre, uh, play under pressure versus versus not is uh, is at least in in my perception has been pretty significant. Yeah, I'm looking at it here. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> have you looked at these numbers yet, Greg? I, I think have not. He, I think I thought you mentioned them. 79% or 79 rating well, clean so, and then some of it yeah not to not to specifically yeah so yeah so clean 77 pass 77 uh pro football focus rating okay 77.2 pro football focus rating when kept clean 39.9 when pressured 
So that's green. That's a pretty solid green. And that's bright red. So that's a pretty significant delta. Like he's a guy, his, uh, his completion percentage went under pressures 38. And he's thrown four picks. So this is a guy that, in my, my scouting report of him, is if you can get guys in his, in his face, it's not so much about edge pressure for him. It's can you compress him? He does not like being cramped. And, you know, the more you can compress this guy, the more he starts to get, you know, get a little jumpy and he'll, he'll, he'll start throwing, throwing the ball to, to the other team a few times. And that, to me, is a huge part of this game. Yeah, so sounds like a Miles Murphy, Kevin Hester type ball game. Let, let's flip the, the script or we'll be here all night. Um, Jason, last week or in, in weeks past, you said Carolina needs to score X to be able to win this game. So start there and work back as to how they do it. Carolina needs to score 38 points to win this game. Whoa. How do they accomplish that? Yeah. Is yeah. that high um, or low for you, Greg? It seems like a lot against this defense. It is. It is. Um, the reason I say 38 is that, that that's, that's the comfortable spot. I think if you score over 34, you probably win the game. So I'll, I'll start there as you probably win the football game at 34. Because if you look at Clemson on the season, so I'm just looking at FBS competition here. They scored seven against Duke, 24 against Florida State, 31 against Syracuse, 17 against Wake Forest, 20 against Miami, 17 against NC State, 31 against Notre Dame, and 42 against Georgia Tech. And the difference with that Notre Dame game and that Georgia Tech game is that they were plus three. Georgia Tech turned it over four times, including a, 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 it was either a scoop and score or a pick six, or it might have been both. Uh, and then Notre Dame turned it over uh, twice as well, uh, or actually turned it over three times, and that led to the 31 points as well. They had, I think, 14 off turnovers there. Clemson's offense has not been dynamic this year. They've averaged, offensively, 5.4 yards per play. And the offense itself, when not you know set up by turnovers, when not you know having the defense score for them, the offense is not getting over 24 points a game. Now, I'm adjusting. I'm, the reason I say 34 <laughs> is I'm, I'm grading on a curve because North Carolina's defense has not exactly been, uh, you know, the 85 Bears to channel, uh, to channel our yeah. own Buck Sanders on this. <laughs> uh, you know, they've not been the 85 Bears out there either. So, you know, I think there's probably going to be some success on the ground from from Maffa and, and uh, Shipley. And I would expect them to, to score probably 28 to 30 points, maybe 31 points in this game. And I think if Carolina can get to mid-30s, I think they probably win it. But it's get to the mid-30s, don't turn it over, don't feed Clemson good field position. Make that offense have to drive, make Cade Klubnick and that set of very average wide receivers have to make plays and you can win this game. But I do think the the sort of magic number that you feel like if you score this number, you probably win is at 34, let's say. Yep. And that's offensive points because, as we know, last year in the ACC championship game, they had a 98-yard pick six. And somebody asked who can cover Tez Walker. That'll be a hell of a matchup, Nate Wiggins. Nate Wiggins is Tez a first-rounder. If, if that is indeed the matchup we see. Greg, so how does Carolina get to more – 
than 34 points on offense. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Drake May earlier. I'm I'm interested to see Amarion Hampton against his Clemson defense. He rushed for 170-ish, I think, on the number maybe, against a Duke defense that was solid stopping the run. Uh, your game plan for Carolina's offense. Well, let me give you some numbers here, Tommy. Uh, when you look at the drive success rates, uh, Clemson is allowing a touchdown on 14% of his uh, opponent's possessions. That's good for fifth nationally. And then in um, value drive rate, which is percentage of opponent drives that gained at least 30 yards, that's happening 28% of the time, which ranks second nationally behind Michigan. Michigan is number one in, in pretty much every metric at this point in time defensively. I wonder why. No, I'm joking. Well, I mean, that's also <laughs> play a crap schedule, but, you know. Um, we'll see how that turns out. So what we know is that is that Clemson's defense is legit, um, and they get off the field now. In terms of how do they get off the field, they, they're okay sack-wise. They're not great, but they're fantastic in creating tackles for loss. Um, they're 10th in the country with 78. Uh, and what the, the data tells us about tackles for loss is if you get a tackle for loss on a drive, uh, those drives for the offense score points 28% of the time. That right there tells you, number one, Carolina's <laughs> got to be very efficient in protecting Drake May because that number drops to about 15% if there's a sack on a drive. Uh, now, Marion Hampton does a great job. You know, he's, he's not getting knocked back much at all. He's going to fight for a couple yards. So you kind of limit the damage there. But you, what that also tells you is you've got to do a really good job with your penalties. You can't have false starts. You can't have holding penalties. I know fans are all up in arms about officiating and uh, Carolina getting called for too many holds. That stuff matters in a game like this. So you have to limit your your miscues more than anything, I think, offensively. And if you can do that, I think Drake May in this offense is good enough to be able to to move the ball. And you've got to be able to do both. You know, we talked earlier about you've the entire team has to play well, all three phases. You've got to be able to run the ball well at times and throw the ball. And if you can do that against any defense, you can have some success, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's sort of like it's sort of like uh, my my dad once uh, uh, got a chance to play golf out in Arizona. You know, one of those courses where you know it's desert all all around you. And uh, he asked, you know, so anything I need to know about the course? And the guy goes, "Well, you hit it long and straight, you're fine." <laughs> right? Keep I mean. It. Yes. Keep it in the green stuff, not in the desert. Yeah, hit it long and hit it long and straight, and you'll do great. Well, you know, run the ball well and and throw it well, and <laughs> you'll be just fine. It's a great, it's a great defense, but that really is. This is playing clean, Tommy. I think that's more than anything. Um, you can't have a situation like Drake had last week where it looked like, and Jason may have taken a longer look at it, but it looks like on his interception play, he just had eyes for Tez Walker, and there was somebody else open on the other side of the field. Uh, it was just a bad play and Duke was able to take advantage of it. So if, if you do those types of things, you really kind of get behind the eight ball and really put yourself at some, in some difficult spots. And this has just got to be a very clinical, clean offensive approach. 
And if they can take care of what they can control, I think they're going to be able to score some points because the offense is legit. I mean, this is a top 10 offense. But if you start slipping a little bit in any of these areas, uh, Clemson's going to be able to take advantage. And that that's where all of a sudden it becomes a matter of, okay, the offense is not doing anything. Now we have to rely on the defense to step up. We know how that's gone you know, last several years. And, uh, Jason, I want to pose a question to you from the chat, but I was just looking at numbers. Somebody asked about tackles for loss. Carolina's had 58 tackles for loss. Clemson's had 78 on the year. Just interesting stats. Anyway, Jason, question from another one from WH1315. This is, I want, I want some hardcore, you are the offensive coordinator. Tell me what's going to happen. Because we nailed it for many, many weeks in a row there over the course of the last few seasons. Great linebackers. Carolina has Drake and Hampton. How and where and how does UNC attack this defense? And they also have Nate Wiggins out there. Yeah, well, and it's not just Nate Wiggins. They've also I think Clemson at full strength, Clemson's back seven's the best in the country. In the country. In the country. I'm talking both corners, nickel, two safeties. Time two safeties, and then both backers. That's the best back seven in the country. Now, I don't think they're going to have the full back seven because, you know, there's uh, there's some doubt right now about whether, uh, there, you know, you've got uh, Shelton, uh, who is, uh, he's he's been out. You've got a couple guys that I'm not sure who who's going to, Who's gonna? They've got a safety who's questionable and a, and a corner who's questionable. That does change things a little bit. Uh, but here's here's the thing that sticks out to me, and I've watched a lot of Clemson this year <laughs> and broken them down in some depth. The three offenses that they've played that are the most similar to North Carolina in terms of sort of what they're capable of doing on the line of scrimmage and the running game and, and other things. Now, North Carolina has some downfield passing that none of these three teams have. But the three three teams that are most similar to what Carolina likes to do, at least in line of scrimmage running game, that they've played are Duke, Miami, and Notre Dame. Against Duke, they gave up 213 rushing yards for uh, let, I'm, I'm sorry. Let's uh, let's get this back to rushing. I'm looking at the total yards here. Uh, against Duke, they gave up 40 carries for 213 rushing yards for 5.3 yards per carry. Against Miami, they gave up. Uh, let's see. Actually, I read the wrong one. Against Duke, they gave up 30 carries for 199 yards and 6.63 yards per carry, including a couple big ones. Against Miami. They gave up 39 uh, or 38 carries for 211 yards and 5.55 yards per carry, including a couple big ones. And Notre Dame, they gave up 31 carries for 183 yards and 5.9 yards per carry. And Estime was actually well on his way to, you know, close to 200 yards rushing. And then Notre Dame turned it over and, and Clemson got up big enough and Notre Dame, Notre Dame abandoned the run. But if they hadn't abandoned the run in the, in the second half, Notre Dame was in position to rush for two, over 200, well over 200 yards in that game. If I'm North Carolina, I come into this game. If I'm Chip Lindsey, I come into this game 
fully believing that I can establish Omari and Hampton in the running game and challenge Clemson on the, and this sounds crazy because Clemson has been so dominant on the defensive line for so long, but I'm coming in believing that the one thing that I can be, I can do against this defense to, to establish myself offensively is I think I can run the football on this defense. I think I, I think I can come in and do to this defense what I did against Miami. I can come in and do it to this defense what I did against Duke. And I can basically attack them the same way and force those linebackers to be primarily run stoppers rather than havoc creators in the passing game. And I think, and, and the other thing is that you involve Drake May some in the running game as well. But to me, this game on the offensive side of the ball you know what you have in Drake May. You know that you're pro- you, you might be able to get a couple big plays out of Tez Walker. Although that's going to be probably harder this week than any other week all year because of who's on the other side. But what you think can change this game is if you can run the football on this defense, and I think you can, you can win this football game running it and then throwing it off of some of the RPOs and some of the play action that that establishes if you can get that rolling. I think they can average five yards to carry against this defense because it's not the same Clemson defensive line that it's been in recent years, as demonstrated by the, the numbers from Duke, Miami, and Notre Dame. The three really good rushing teams that they played all ran for a decent number of yards on them. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. Run it. When you want to, throw it when you want to instead of having to throw it and putting Drake, you know, under under fire there. Greg, anything left on the – And run between the tackles. Yes, and I was going to throw that up. That's Evans in the chat said – Brian Evans says, run power, not wide. Whew, I hate seeing a wide run um, with a guy like Amarion out there. We hadn't seen it that much. But, Greg, anything left on the offensive side for North Carolina? I think special teams is going to play a huge role in this game as well. We don't talk about it enough, but offensively, what you said. Who's the MVP offensively um, not wearing number 10? Is Hampton. it Walker or is it Hampton? Hampton. It's Hampton. I mean, if, yeah. you, if, you, yeah, if you're able to run the ball, uh, that changes everything, and that opens up those shots down the field. I mean, you talk about Hampton. He hasn't done a ton off the edge, but just looking here, I mean, off the right edge – He's averaging 7.3 yards per carry, and off the left edge, he's averaging 4.8, 44 carries. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's effective that's enough. I mean, he's Look, Hampton is second in the country in rushing yards. He only trails the leading guy, the kid from Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State, by like 14 yards. Uh, and granted, it's going to be tough for him to keep that with these two defenses coming up. But um, what an incredible year that kid's had. Um, here's a stat people would not like to hear. Clemson is 23 and three the last seven years in the month of November. So, uh, going back to the fatigue conversation, snap counts, they are strong late in the year. That's called finishing folks. Yep. And as Mac said repeatedly on Monday, 96 and nine at home under Dabo Sweeney. Let me talk, let me talk about congruity. As we get to the predictions part, here's what I'm going to predict. That somebody's going to do this congruity stuff, and they're going to make a lot of money with their small business. Congruity is, again, North Carolina-based national coverage, personal support, straight from the Tar Heel State. They're a national company, guys, but they are local 
folks, and they wanted to reach out to Inside Carolina people, so they wanted to be a part of this podcast, and that's what they've done. The people at Congruity are obsessed with customer service. They handle all your HR and payroll needs, so you can grow your business. They handle your people. We talk about player fatigue. Congruity makes sure you don't have fatigue dealing with all that stuff, HR and payroll and all that, because you got to work to build that business and be successful while they handle the dirty work. Do this for me. Go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Fill out the form. Get connected with a consultant. And they'll give you an assessment for free. Whether you like it or not, you don't have to do it, but it's free. See if they can't help your smaller mid-sized business grow into what you want it to be. And then you can retire like me. Maybe work for Inside Carolina for the rest of your life and, and do podcasts all the time because your business was so successful with Congruity's help. Congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Let Darren and Matt and that team take care of you. Predictions. Predictions. I need a horn. Ding, 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 ding. Predictions. Jason, you're on the clock first. It's a hard one. Um, this might be the hardest one all season. I mean, we obviously got the the Virginia one just flat wrong. But I feel like we've been on pretty much all the other ones all year. This is one where I think it's it's a hard, hard, hard game to predict. Um because I think there are, I think there are definite places of weakness on this Clemson team that Carolina can attack and can attack really well. I think Carolina is going to be able to run the football. I think they're going to be able to score some points on this defense, despite the fact of how good this defense is. But I also think that Clemson's going to be able to run the football and be able to attack some of the weaknesses on the Carolina defense that have emerged. And ultimately uh, one of the biggest strengths of this Carolina team has been lately has been being able to take advantage of some mismatches at tight end. In addition to Tez Walker down the field. And what I see here as kind of the, uh, the sort of ACE in the hole that, that, that Clemson has is Tez Walker's facing the best corner he's going to face all year. He's playing against the one guy who can probably limit him to not get a bunch of big plays, right? He, he may get one or two, you know, he's, he's a really good player too. He's going to be an early draft pick, but Wiggins is going to be able to kind of get his wins too. Uh, and the other thing is that Cle uh, Clemson has the players at safety, nickel and linebacker to single cover every tight end that, uh, that they can throw out there, whether it's Nesbitt, uh, whether it's, you know, Copenhaver, whoever. You go back and you watch those 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 backers. And now, real interesting question is Barrett Carter is questionable for this game. He didn't play last week. Uh, if he doesn't play, that does change the complexion of this game some because uh, he, he turned an ankle. Uh, but I think he's going to play. And so I'm I'm projecting this as though he's going to play. And if, if he's playing, I think they can handle... Carolina's tight ends, whoever Carolina throws out there. And they'll be able to single cover those guys better than anybody else has. And so two of the big things that Carolina has been able to do, I think they're going to be able to limit personnel wise. And I think that's, that's really a big part of the, of the, the difference here. And I think the other difference is fatigue. I think Clemson is the fresher team at this point in the season. And I think in a game at Clemson at this point in the year, Ultimately, I think that's the deciding factor, and I'm going to go with Clemson to win. Uh, but I think it's going to be really close. I wouldn't be surprised if this was an overtime game. Uh, 
I'm going to go with Clemson winning uh, 31 to 30. You almost went where I'm trying to go, but Greg, you're up. Yeah, Barrett Carter, uh, Dabo was asked about him today, and his quote was, he's getting better heading into the Carolina game. So, <laughs> wealth of information there. Thanks, Dabo. Um, look, I, I wrote about this earlier today, Tommy, and I, I really think that this is a situation for North Carolina um, to really kind of stake their claim to what a special season you, this still can be. Um, it, really a weird thing, you know, early in the year, we're like, okay, well get through September, the first four games, we'll have a pretty good idea of what this team's going to be. And then you start, you know, in hindsight, none of those teams are really any good. And, and that's kind of the, the point I made in my, my column today was, you know, when you look at the top 25 teams in F plus, which is the combination of F E I and S P plus, you look at the top 25 there. Carolina is the only team out of that group who has not played a top 20 team in those rankings. The only one. And it's the only team in the top 35 with two losses to teams outside the top 60. Now, that doesn't mean North Carolina is not any good. That means North Carolina has, for the most part, taken care of business. But they have not played any really good teams yet. I mean, Duke's probably the best team that they've played. Riley Leonard was out. Miami's pretty solid. Carolina won the turnover margin 4-0 in that game, which was really the deciding factor. We don't, I don't feel like we really know what this team is about. We, we know the offense is fantastic. We know the defense has had its moments. It's not near as bad as it was last year. We know that injuries on special teams have popped up and posed some problems. There's still some questions about uh, game management. Yeah. So we 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 kind of know what we've seen in the last couple of years. I don't feel like we have a true identity of what this team really is. Um, and I think that's where some of the frustration with the fan base comes in. Yes, they're eight and two for the sixth time in forty-one years. That's fantastic. That's great. But you're you're kind of like, well, they had no business losing to Virginia, and they really just kind of tanked away the Georgia Tech game. I mean, what could have been, right? But nobody really gave them a chance going to Clemson to start the year to win one. So, yeah, you lost one against Virginia that you had no business losing. You can show up in Clemson on Saturday and get a win there to get to 9-2. and two. Well, that's a big deal because Clemson is playing better as we've laid out tonight. Um, and then you go into the state game. And we know how that game is, but two really gritty, good defensive teams on the schedule upcoming – and if Carolina can find ways to kind of fight and scrap and locate all the little details that is required to win, well, now you're talking about closing the season at 10-2, and two, which is better than pretty much anybody projected. Um, and it's a really good year whether you get to the ACC championship game or not. So I, I think this is a true opportunity for North Carolina to really come together, and it's one of the last opportunities, to come together and put forth an A game. I don't feel like we've really seen that. We've seen it on one side of the ball or the other. But this is that opportunity. This is really an important game for Mac Brown and for this program. Um, we haven't really seen that yet. And because of that, with the way Clemson's playing, I've got Clemson winning this game. I've got them winning 35-27. I agree with a lot of <laughs> things Jason said. 
Um, but I certainly think North Carolina can win this game. They just have to put it together, and I've got to see it first before I can trust it. I'm going to add one more thing here, and that's that I think the other reason that this game is so difficult to project is Clemson has been so turnover prone. Yeah. Right? So if North Carolina is plus two in this game, they're going to win the game. If they're plus one in this game, they may win this game. Uh, I think they might need to be plus one to win, but you know, if, if Clemson doesn't turn it over, I think they're the stronger team, you know, top to bottom, and they're the fresher team. But they, on the season, their overall turnover margin is plus one, and that's only because they're plus four the last two weeks. I mean, they've fumbled a good season away, and you take away their, their three turnover, their plus three against uh, Florida Atlantic, and their negative turnover margin for the season. Well, they're minus six in their four losses. Yeah. So that, I think, is a big reason that this game is hard to project. Is, you know, it, you can't, it, turnovers, there's a certain amount of randomness to it. You can't really project it unless Tyler Van Dyke's playing in the game. Um, <laughs> in which case, you can kind of bet on it. Hi, Louisville. But yeah. Yeah. So Storm beyond that. Interception. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, aside from that, you know, you, you can't really be sure. I mean, they were minus two against Miami and minus two against North Carolina State. And then plus one against Notre Dame and plus three against Georgia Tech and one close against Notre Dame and blew Georgia Tech out. So, I mean, that, that I think, as much as any week, that column determines the winner. So, I'm going to do something. I'm going to pull stats. I never pull stats. I am not a stat guy. Clemson has 45 penalties called on them all year. They had none against Notre Dame, which is damn near insane, but it's not surprising given the ACC. Carolina's had 66 <laughs> called against them. Oh, Lord. Don't you love it, Greg? I do. Another stat I want people to pay attention to. Clemson field goals combined two, two different kickers. They are 8 for 16 on the year. Noah Burnett's 18 for 19 on the year. I'm going to pick Carolina 38-37, and I'm going to regret not going to Clemson and meeting at Paul <laughs> after that happened. I think this is good. Greg, everything you talked about. you were about, going down there. I've backed out. I don't know. I might still go down there. It's a long drive. It's like six hours. I may so, go. It's such a great I may talk myself into go. it, you know. You got to yeah. go. 100%. But when you look at what Greg talked about, the opportunity for North Carolina, Mac Brown has talked about these type games since 1988. And while he had some successful seasons, the one game that Carolina really won that I thought they had no business winning was that Southern Cal game in 93, where they smacked the heck out of Southern Cal and Jason Seahorn uh, pretty boy Jason Seahorn, safety out there for USC. And and that's it. Well, this is another one of those type games, I think. I think Carolina gets it done. I think Omarion has a big day. And I think somebody on that defense makes a play. I think Cedric Gray might be the guy that makes that crazy interception um, and, and Carolina actually capitalized. But they cannot turn it over, and they cannot have the stupid 
penalties that have hindered them the last four weeks. So 38-37. I don't know if I'm right or if I'm wrong, um, but there it is. We'll find out on Saturday. I know, really. (laughs) At like 7.30 on Saturday, it'll either be – yeah. It's going to be interesting, but uh, to somebody that was trolling a little bit in the chat, I had Carolina 9-1 and one at this point in the season in preseason predictions. Losing or beating, losing to Pitt um, and then losing to Clemson. But I've switched. I'm sticking with 10-2. and two. I'm going Carolina 38-37. Anything left, gentlemen? It's been a long one. Nah. I think we're good. All good. Pulled Check all out. Meat, pulled all the feathers off that turkey. Yeah. Fitting, fitting times. Uh, stay tuned to Inside Carolina for plenty of coverage of that game basketball game on Friday night. There will be no post-game podcast Friday night. A lot going on. Uh, Baseball podcast out on the YouTube channel will be out audio-wise. Justin Jackson and John Bowman's basketball pod will come out tomorrow morning. As always, Adam and Jeremiah and Evan kicking out the written content. Just a ton going on. And Check out Greg Barnes' column uh, from earlier today if you have not already. Greg is the master at the long form. So it's worth reading. Jason, safe travels. Greg, appreciate it. Thank Congruity and Johnny T-Shirt for supporting us. Guys, we out. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.